Hey, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Open it up towards the beginning. There's a place called the Old Testament. You need to find the heading labeled First Kings. And you'll want to find the big number 18. That's First Kings 18. If you're a guest with us, thank you so much for being here. We had you in mind when we planned our service. So we hope you find your time both enjoyable and meaningful. Just to catch us all up so we're all on the same page moving forward. Last week we started a brand new series of messages called the dog days of summer. Our goal with that is to help each other avoid what's known as the summer slump. We know from empirical research that uh, students K through 12 are going to come back to school in the fall a full month behind in their learning uh, because they haven't you know, made it intentional to do anything school related over the summer. They, they come back behind. It's all vacations, you know, video games and sports victories. That's what summer is all about. And that's fine. But what's worrisome to me is I've discovered from personal experience that this same phenomenon, the summer slump, it can be true in your spiritual life as well. So last Sunday, we chatted about how to avoid that by producing good fruit. Scripture tells us that there's nine kind of spiritual fruits that we're supposed to be producing, uh, nine character traits that should be in your lives. There's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you can't point back to one of those things in your life and have some evidences that those things are blossoming, then we need to start planting some different seeds. I ended the message by giving you some uh, proverbial seeds to plant in your life soil to help some of those nine character things, traits, you know, develop in your life uh, if you're struggling in any one of those areas. This morning, I want to preach to you a message I'm calling Culligan Water and Canteens, uh, because here's what else we know about producing fruit in the summer specifically. Water can be a big deal. Water uh, is kind of a, a, a can be a problem in the summertime specifically, and you need it in order to grow some plant life, some fruit. I read that some fruit uh, trees, depending on their size, they will consume upwards of 16 gallons of water per day. Uh, to put that in perspective, most of you don't even drink a gallon of water per day. So uh, water is important, especially if uh, there's not any. I talked to a farmer this week who said his corn had all but burned up because there's no rain. It's been uh, the driest year in Kansas on record since 1874. You know, let that sink in. Uh, It's drier now than it was during the Dust Bowl. So there's that in Kansas. My point is, jot this down if you're taking notes, the saturation of your fruit is going to determine the scope of your life. How much water you're putting in these nine spiritual fruits, how much you're feeding your fruit, that's going to determine your future. And we know in life, drought conditions stunt the growth of fruit. Same in your spiritual life. If you're not watering these nine spiritual fruits, they're not growing the way that they could. Uh, The purpose that God has placed in your heart is not going to come to fruition if you're not watering your, again, proverbial tree. Uh, Thank God for the rain because we all need some downpours. You know, downpours will lead us to our destiny. But what's our responsibility within this whole context of watering and, and, you know, cultivating 
fruit. Jesus said in John chapter 4 that He will put a spring of water that will well up eternal life in you. It's Jesus who makes that possible for you to water your fruit. But it's like the old saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You know, so it's kind of up to you to take that water that Jesus has put in your life and start feeding your flowers and your fruit. And my goal for you this morning is that you will leave here refreshed, that you will be able to take some steps because of Jesus, because of the water that He's put in you, you'll be able to take some steps closer to Him. But again, it's up to you what you do with the information. Before we read 1 Kings chapter 18, a little context will probably be helpful. Roughly 4,000 years ago, there was a group of people who were enslaved in Egypt. They were known as the Israelites uh, because they were descendants of a guy named Israel. Uh, at least that was his MMA cage fighting name, his His birth name was Jacob, but he, long story. Anyway, he's a son of Isaac, son of Abraham, if you want to check it out in Scripture. God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that their descendants are going to inherit some land, the same land that Adam and Eve once walked. And God says, I'm going to give this back to you. And God follows through on this covenant promise uh, by sending Moses to rescue these enslaved people in Egypt, and he leads them. Uh, Things do get a little hairy along the way. A short journey ends up taking them 40 years, but eventually they get to this promised land that God uh, has given them. God is supposed to live as, or the people are supposed to live with God as their king. Uh, Unfortunately, that does not work out. God does give them some rules to follow, Ten Commandments among others, but as their king, they should, uh, you know, worship him and praise him. Doesn't go as planned. They decide they want a human king instead of God as their king. They appoint a guy named Saul to be their king. Saul does a marginal job at best, so when he dies, they're glad to have a new king, a guy named David, uh, be put in place. Now, you know David. He's a songwriter. He's a dancer. Uh, you wouldn't want to make fun of that, uh, fun of him for that, because he's also a warrior. You know, he's he's killed giants with a sling and a stone. So uh, when King David dies, his son Solomon takes over the throne. Solomon does a good job, but at the end of his life, a civil war breaks out. The kingdom is divided into two. There's a northern kingdom, uh, which is Israel, and there's a southern kingdom, which is known as Judah. You still with me? Okay, 875 B.C., brother named Ahab becomes king of the northern kingdom in Israel. His queen, Jezebel, is incredibly wicked. And together, the two of them go on a very organized and deliberate mission to try and make Israel polytheistic. Poly, multiple, theistic God. They want to worship multiple gods, like the pagan countries who were surrounding them. So they were commanding idolatry, and they were killing the prophets of God who were speaking against this idolatry. You've perhaps heard of an idol named Baal. 
the word Baal is actually a generic word. For many years, some of you maybe are in this same boat, I thought Baal was just like a god. Um, no different than maybe the Greek god Zeus or Athena or Ares, right? But the word Baal is a generic name for any god. Uh, it really means spiritual lord. That's how you can define Baal. So uh, there's a rain Baal, there's a fertility Baal, there's a military Baal, healing Baal. Did a cursory study, found uh, roughly 30 Baals listed. Uh, but, the, but the Baal that these two, uh, Ahab and Jezebel, specifically are asking Israel to worship is the Baal of Tyre and Sidon. He's a rain god, a storm god. That's who, that's who they, the king and queen, wanted Israel worshiping. Naturally, God, the one true God, Yahweh, he's not super excited that his covenant people are being led astray and they're choosing a false God to worship instead of him. It would be no different than your husband or your wife or uh, boyfriend or girlfriend leaving you, not for another human being, but rather for a mannequin. That would be the equivalent today. And, and you discover this treachery, this betrayal, by seeing your significant other driving down the road in a red convertible. Uh, they pull into the driveway. You follow them home and you say, yo, what, you know, what's going on? And they say, oh, you know, we met at the mall and uh, just instant magic as soon as we saw each other. You know, it was at H&M. I remember it like it was yesterday. And uh, it just sounds strange, but I just love, you know, this dummy. You know, she never complains. She's never nagging me. Uh, she always has this happy look on her face. You know, uh, when I ask her to go out to eat, she doesn't say, I don't care. You know, where do you want to go? Uh, it doesn't matter. You know. She just smiles and it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, you'd be like, no, no, you're the dummy. Uh, because that would be stupid, but that's the same thing. And then you would punch the mannequin in the face, you know, just to prove a point, but maybe that's just me. But uh, how much more ridiculous is it leaving the one true God, the God of the universe, the author of life for an idol that can't see or can't hear or can't speak or can't empathize, but that's exactly what's happening. Uh, Just for the record, then and now. Uh, same thing happens in our world. So in First Kings chapter 17, God sends a guy named Elijah the Tishbite to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel to give them a message. Now, a couple points about E to the T. Uh, you you want to make sure that when you pronounce Elijah, you pronounce the J because there's also an Elisha in Scripture. Elisha is the Padawan learner, the apprentice of Elijah. I guess if you're unsure about the two, it could be a good strategy just to blend the two names. Yeah, Elisha, that's who it was. If somebody asks you a question, you know, it's Elisha, and you're like, what are you talking about? But simple distinction, so you don't have to do that anymore. Elijah, the Bible says, uh, describes him. He was hairy and he wore a leather belt. Uh, in hindsight, it sounds an awful lot like Chewbacca, so you can maybe categorize the two like that. But uh, Elisha 
was bald. Elijah, Harry, Elisha, bald. The, the male pattern baldness, though, is not something you would want to bring up to Elisha. He was rather sensitive about that. Second uh, Kings 2, some punk kids are making fun of Elisha about the whole balding thing, and, and he calls out two bears from the woods and mauls 42 of them to death. So don't have time to preach that, but you can check it out. The Bible's crazy. Uh, we're talking about Elijah, and God tells Elijah, one of two people who never died, by the way, he had a very, very crazy life, uh, but God tells Elijah to go to Ahab, let him know it's not going to rain until he says it's going to rain. Now, when I read that, I had immediately some questions like, um, I would how, how did Elijah even get into the king? You know, like if you're working on the Death Star and Chewbacca comes up and is like, hey, I'm here to see the emperor, you're not letting him in. And that's what we get with Elijah, the hairy wore leather belt to go see the king. He just walks into the palace and says, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. That was the whole conversation. And then he leaves and walks out. Where did he go? Oh, he went to the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan River, and ravens bring him breakfast and dinner every day. Like the birds. Like, that's real life happening in, as I guess, is the first Amazon drone we have recorded in Scripture. I don't know, but you thought your life was weird. Elijah, very weird. But the reason for the message of no rain is this was God's way of challenging Baal, who has become the false god of Israel. In a way, he's seeing, okay, we're going to see who the Lord of the storm is. You know, y'all keep praying to your mannequin, and we'll see if it rains. And God's like, no, I'm, I'm the God of rain. It's worth pointing out that according to Deuteronomy 11, rain is a sign of God's blessing. So when Elijah says no rain, in a way, God is removing his blessing from Israel. God is trying to get their attention. The way they're living is dangerous. So the most loving thing God could do was give them a drought. I would caution you if you're going through a difficult season, if you feel like your life is dry, you might want to look around and see if God is trying to get your attention. It would uh, be uh, horrible if he allowed that sin to continue on in your life. If he allowed you to be blessed and satisfied apart from him, uh, it would be a horrible situation for you. How unloving would that God be if he never corrected you? A good father, you know, does not allow danger in his house. Furthermore, we know from our lives that rain can be a matter of life and death. Plants need water, livestock needs water, you need water. So if you don't have the technology to pump the water out of the ground, and you know, if you can't install pivots, then rain is pretty much the source of life. Again, God is communicating to the people, I am the source of life. I'm the one that controls the rain. I bring the rain on, you know, the wicked and the just alike. So by 1 Kings chapter 18, we've been in this drought for three years. Things are getting rather desperate. God tells Elijah to go to Ahab and challenge him to a little contest. You know, if their God can, can do what this contest, the rules of the contest, contest describe, then their God will bring rain. But 
but if, if Elijah's God, God, Yahweh, can do what is about to be read, then he is God. So let's kind of see what happens. Let's pick it up in verse 16. Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? I've made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Why Mount Carmel? You know, because it's a delicious sticky treat that you put on apples and, you know, turtle sundaes from Freddy's. No, that's caramel. They're different. Mount Carmel is the place where the Phoenician people believed their deities lived. Uh, Jezebel's Phoenician. She taught everyone that this is the mountain where the gods live. So this is like home field advantage for the prophets of Baal. Uh, God is, is giving them the chance to, to play in front of their home crowd. Although Carmel does kind of make me hungry at this point. So, uh, 21. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, then follow Him. But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish, cut it into pieces, lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God. I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. You know, classic guy move. Uh, let's settle this around the grill. You know, I was like, we'll, we'll get this. It's worth pointing out, uh, one of the bales that the people worshipped was a god of fire. You know, so if, if the god of fire lived on this mountain, there should be no problem for him to set the bull on fire. He probably lights fires all of the time. Uh, 25. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it, and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls, placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us! But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they made. Uh, that's how they describe my dancing, by the way. Hobbling around. It's horrible. Uh, about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. I love that. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed. For surely he is a god. Perhaps he is daydreaming or is relieving himself. Maybe he's away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be awakened. You know, don't tell me sarcasm is not a spiritual gift. You know, it's all, it's all right here. This is my life passage. It's just, you know, he's probably in the men's room, you know. Give him some time. He had Taco Bell yesterday. It's a rough, you know, nachos bel grande. So they shouted louder. Following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. 
Who else is glad that our God doesn't require our blood because his blood already paid the penalty due for us, not our custom to cut ourselves. God, Jesus, already did that for me. Verse 29, they raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply no response. Two things. A, don't rave. Okay, young people, no, no raving. B, make sure whatever you're worshiping the most has the ability to make a sound, make a reply, or make a response. You do realize that on your deathbed, your car is not going to make a sound. Your house is not going to thank you for the memories. Uh, It is not going to matter how much sex you've had, how much money you've earned. Be careful what you devote your time and your energy to. It's a pretty good indicator of what you're worshiping. And here's what I can tell you with complete impunity. The God I serve, he has the ability to respond and reply and make a sound. And in that moment, when it feels like everything has faded away, our God will not remain silent. You might not hear him audibly speak, but the evidence of him will be all around. Verse 30, then Elijah called to the people, come over here. You know, these fools have no idea what they're doing. So they all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons of water. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. When they were finished, he said, third time's the charm. So they did as he said. And the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. At the usual time for the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me, answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. God chases you down. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, all caps, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. And then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed those fools. The ministry of a pastor was a little different back then. Uh, Sometimes I long for those days, right? You're going to make fun of everybody, and then you're going to kill them. That sounds like a... Anyway couple things I want you to make note of. First, the source of your water is significant. If the saturation of your fruit is what's going to determine the scope of your life, 
then where you get your water, the source of your water, it's going to be very significant. I'll give you an example. When Laura and I were finishing up the shower in our bathroom, we had a guy come out do tile work on the floor and uh, up the sides for the walls. But a couple months into using the shower, the grout started flaking out. So we naturally called the guy up. I was like, dude, what's going on with the, with the shower? And when he came to repair it, he said something very significant. He said, I'll fix this, but this is not a grout issue. This is a water issue. Your water is the problem. Come to find out, we had very hard water with little bits of sand in it, so the water was quite literally eroding the grout to, you know, without our knowledge. I had to have Culligan come out and install a commercial filter, a uh, commercial water softener, these huge contraptions so we could have water that wasn't destroying our house. And because the source of the water is significant, and what's in your water is significant. Same thing's true in your spiritual life. Your water, your source, is significant. Here in this passage, we have a water problem. There's a drought. There's no rain for three years, so Elijah devises a contest. If your God can burn up the sacrifice, then he's God. He'll surely bring rain. If my God burns up the sacrifice, then he is God, and he will bring rain, which you can read on, and that is exactly what happens. But two kind of ironies. First of all, the goal here is fire. Uh, So whoever God sends the fire down, whichever God does that, gobbles up the sacrifice, you know, burns it up, they're God. So if if the goal is fire, you know, in my experience, uh, perhaps dousing the, the sacrifice with water isn't the best plan of action. You know, if combustion is the goal. In my experience, water is a barrier to burning. I don't know about you, but I have a hard enough time lighting dry wood. You know, I can't get the, you know, I'd buy the starter logs for the fireplace because I could never get the stupid kindling to light. You know, I think the point is, oftentimes, when God is about to do the impossible, He calls us to do the impractical. Very impractical to put wood when you're asking, you know, for fire. Uh, Also ironic, the people had one job to get the water, but we're in the middle of a three-year drought. So if you're with Elijah, wouldn't you be asking the question, you know, uh, is this like plan B? I mean, is this the best idea if we're trying to be burning you know, I, there's no stupid ideas, right? We, we just caught these brothers cutting themselves all up, ble- bleeding, you know, uh, hobbling around dancing. So no dumb ideas, but maybe water isn't the, what we should be doing if we're trying to burn, you know, let's keep brainstorming. Furthermore, even when they landed on the idea, where'd they get the water? We're in a three-year drought. If you look at Mount Carmel on a map, you'll find that the closest water source, a sea, is miles away. So even assuming that there is water near them, three years without water, you know, how did they get it? It surely didn't come from the mountain. I'll tell you, I don't know. I I don't know where they got the water. It doesn't say, but I do know this. You don't go on a hike in the mountains without water. Even if you do, a king certainly isn't going anywhere without provision. So to be clear, the point of the story is not the, the water. It's not the, the source of the water. The point of the story uh, is, that, is that Jesus 
is the ultimate sacrifice. You know, the point of the story is God is God. And, and that Jesus would one day come baptizing with fire. And, and that's the entire point of the story. The, the, the point is God is God. But I believe the water is symbolic. And because there's always something new to discover, there's nothing unimportant within Scripture. And, and so I think the water is symbolic of all the people had. That's what it represented. You see, they went up on this hike, up a mountain. Again, not a lot of hiking opportunities in Kansas, so we maybe can't relate. But I know when you walk a long distance, even on flat ground, you're bringing a bottle of water with you. More often than not, that's about the only thing that you're bringing. I imagine that was the case here. When Elijah said, let's go up to the mountain, everybody got their canteens and said, all right, let's go for the hike. And when Elijah then says, hey, we're going to need four jars full of water, he's asking the people, pour out your canteens. Get the camel back, put it in the jar. Think about this. Why does he add water multiple times? I think we could all agree that if you're calling fire down from heaven, that in and of itself is kind of a miracle. Agree? And if that fire consumes rocks, like we've seen all the news and we've seen what's going on in Hawaii with the lava and there's rocks, you know, shooting through people's boats and it's all crazy. This fire was so hot, it consumed burned up rocks. At that point, the amount of water is pretty arbitrary, right? If the fire is burning up rocks, it doesn't really matter how much water you're putting on the sacrifice. See, the message is, I believe, some of the people were holding out with their water. You know, they were being stingy with their saturation. Elijah knew this, so he had to keep asking for more. He was, he was asking the people for everything they had. Not to make the miracle more spectacular, but rather to make sure everyone had given everything before the Lord. The reason the source of your water is significant is because only in giving up all you have does God give you all you need. Only when you do your part will God do His part. Write this down. It's in giving, not keeping, that leads to receiving. It's giving, not keeping, that leads to receiving. What's that mean for you. Well, practical step as we close. First, don't confuse accomplishing with making God happy with you. God is delighted in you long before you had your act together. Amen, somebody. Instead, we work, we give, we water our fruit as a response to what God has already done. But secondly, what I hope you're asking yourself is simply, where am I withholding water? Where am I not giving what God has asked me to give? How am I not giving myself fully over to God? It could be in your time. Because remember, water is symbolic. It could be in your marriage. It could be in money. It could be a sin that you can't stop. It could be addiction, anxiety. I don't know what it is for you, but I do know this. People participate in God's miracles. 
Again, it's only when you do your part that God shows up and does His part. I would highly encourage you as we continue to grow here at New Anthem, and uh, which, by the way, is a miracle from God. You know, God's bringing the people. I would highly encourage you to begin to participate. And not because we need something from you, but because God wants something for you. He, he wants you to give so that you can receive this harvest of blessing, as we talked about last week, Ephesians 3. You will reap a harvest if you do not give up. So God wants to give you these things, but you have to give. Sounds paradoxical, but you have to give in order to receive. So as we do things here, like add services and add teams and add small groups and add people and God change lives, you have an opportunity to give your everything that God has given you. Don't withhold your canteen. You know, pour out your Culligan water, and begin participating in God's story. Now, oftentimes we get pushed back anytime we talk about some of this. Uh, you know, I've been burned, and I've, the past church, you, know, you can't let your past preempt your purpose. Come on, somebody. You know, you, you have to start, you know, making decisions for your future and not living for what's gone on before. You know, I imagine the people were mad at God especially if they weren't idol worshipers. It's like, God, we've, we've been serving you faithfully for the past three years. How come we're not getting any rain? And we, we don't have an answer for that. We don't have an answer for why God allows some of the things to happen that, that do happen. But I know that you need to start giving in order to start receiving. It's the saturation of your fruit that will determine the scope of your life. You want a more fulfilling life? Then you have to start giving in order to receive. And God will fill you up the more you start pouring out. Uh, Let me pray. God, again, so thankful for your word. So thankful that we get to come and gather in this place and hear from you. And God, I believe that you are speaking to hearts right now, doing what only you can do, opening up eyes to people to, to begin to start seeing you in your presence. I ask that you tell each person in this room what their next step needs to be in order to reap this harvest of blessing. Giving, receiving, God, we know it's all from you. And we want to pour out the water of our lives in order for you to refresh our souls. Help us figure out how we can do that to bring your name glory and ours joy. God, we know that that starts by committing our lives to you. As we continue to pray, if you're here this morning and you've never committed your life to God, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Uh, To reap this harvest of blessing that's reserved for His people. The Bible says all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that He is God and you'll be saved. So I want to lead you in a prayer, not because there's magic in the prayer, but because God wants you to give your life to Him. And don't wait any longer. Pour out what you have. Just say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've sinned. I'm sorry I've not lived in a way that pleases you. God, I've tried to do life on my own. It's not working. Please help me. God, save me. I believe in Jesus. 
I believe he died on a cross. And because of that, I'm made new. You've rescued me because Jesus rose from the dead. Help me live for you. God, I thank you for the free gift of salvation through your son, Jesus. I thank you that we don't have to do anything crazy like cut ourselves or make sacrifices because your son paid the ultimate sacrifice. Thank you for grace. Thank you for love. Thank you for joy. I ask that these people can leave this place feeling refreshed in your name by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.